The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Goller. Hi, and welcome to another fascinating, I hope, an informative edition of Navigating the Cancer Maze, and I'm your host, Grace Goller. Now, the object of this show each week is to present to you the patient, or let's call you the cancer therapy inquirer, experts in the field of cancer treatments. And uh, while offering researched information, on this show, we also like to go to perhaps some of the more obscure, but let's say equally important areas of healing and health restoration. And uh, I've been around long enough to uh, meet and shared the lecture stage with many, many pioneers in their various fields of expertise. Um, today's guest, who's a little late coming online, um, Carol Hirschberg, is actually one of those people. So until we uh, secure Carol on the line, I'd like to tell you a little bit about her work and uh, hopefully she'll be able to fill that in for us as we go through with the show. I first met Carol and became aware of her work when actually I was working in the Netherlands and in the UK back in the 90s. And her book, Spontaneous Remission, which had been published by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, actually launched a new way of looking at cancer therapies. And uh, this, this new way was really to uh, encourage people, um, to give people some hope, uh, some authentic hope, by studying people who had recovered from illnesses where they were not expected to recover. So the spontaneous remission looked at a huge amount of um, literature, from the medical literature, and right on through all of the... Um, the data that was available globally, and these people, it was Brendan O'Regan and Carol Hirschberg, who were both working for IONS at the time, Institute of Noetic Sciences, um, who actually put together this amazing compilation. Now, I've had that in my library, and it's lived on my desk wherever I've practised in the world. I think the, uh, the spontaneous remission book weighs uh, several kilograms, but I've managed to take it around with me because I've often found when someone's come in and they've had a dire 
diagnosis, a dire prognosis as a result of that, that um, they're often despairing and they've really lost hope in uh, what they're um, what they're wanting to do with their life and seeing the end of their life. So sometimes it's been of great use to say, let's have a look in the spontaneous remission book and see what's happened to other people. And this has been quite an inspiring thing for people and has given them that little bit of hope and, and restoration of um, looking for their recovery. The book actually redefined remission and um, it was very clear from their work at that time that remission needed to be reclassified because uh, remission regression, it's interesting, it's confusing, but the terms are often unnecessary. Uh, there's been no standard definition and it was an amazing thing that uh, these two, O'Regan and Hirschberg, studied um, because there's, uh, there was no studies. There was no one who had looked at all of these issues and said, what can we learn? What can we get out of this to help people with not only their illness, but what can we learn here that might help people to stay well? So the redefining of remission was a very, very important part of their work. Um, I'd like to start going through that while we're waiting for Carol to come online because I think those definitions are really very important. And it's also important not to confuse false hope um, with some of this material uh, or miraculous healings that, you know, because this person has done X, Y and Z, you know, this is going to happen to me. Um, I think there's a possibility thinking aspect here. It might happen for you and it has happened for someone else. Um, and I think that's a very positive thing psychologically. So when they looked, they, they cut this down into four basic areas of remission. Now, they had what they called a pure remission, and these were cases where a patient was medically diagnosed. In other words, they'd had x-rays, they had a biopsy, they'd had medical tests, um, but they'd either refused medical treatment or medical treatment hadn't been given because it was deemed useless or unavailable um, and not worthwhile going ahead with. So an example of a pure remission then would be a patient, say, who's been diagnosed with a bone cancer, refused medical treatment and is disease-free 10 years later. Um, and you would have to have the, the biopsy evidence, the x-rays and the other tests in order to be able to prove that. So if we talk about treatment-related remission, now that's a remission with um, – let's say, inadequate medical treatment. And that's a whole class where medical diagnosis uh, can be followed for a period of time by various kinds of medical treatment. But the treatment is usually known to be not sufficient to produce either a cure or a remission. And then a remission occurs. So uh, this is a really, really interesting one. And I think certainly from my early days in this work, going back into the late 70s and um, 80s, I saw a lot of people who turned around their recovery. And um, I saw them in very large numbers where they'd been given a treatment, they were despondent, they were told it was not going to have a good outcome. But when they were given some hope and when they were given some strategies and some resilience training and stress reduction techniques, 
it was a really interesting thing that treatments actually turned around. So uh, they were able to produce a cure or remission where it was thought it wasn't. Now, I think we're going to see, and we actually do see, a lot more of this today because as medical treatments have improved, uh, we know from the people that we take to our clinic in Germany uh, where we see the psychological aspects coming in and that those psychological aspects have a huge, huge impact on um, the patient's outcome. So we look at lifestyle issues there, we look at the psycho-oncology strategies, resilience, and we look at the best of treatment. So um, that's the treatment-related remission. Alternative or complex remission is another one um, that they worked out in this definitions, in these definitions. So you've got more complex cases where patients resorted to a complex of traditional and alternative medicine. And a recent survey of that group, they said at the time, suggested that about 10% of those people underwent a spontaneous remission. Um, but the causes for the remission were actually unstudied. So the waters get very muddied in this type of remission. Uh, we're really unsure why and what and how. And a lot of the people, um, if you're a listener to the program uh, quite regularly, a lot of people who come into my practice uh, actually have um, this kind of criteria behind them where they've done a lot of alternative medicine, maybe first a little bit of conventional um, and then gone back to alternative or all kinds of variations of that. So uh, that is a one that I think could be studied a lot more. And I, I think all of this sort of comes back and points to when you can give patients strategies for health restoration when they are facing a life-threatening or life-challenging illness, that that is a really important way to go uh, to look at that and see what we can learn. The fourth one. Now, the fourth one's a really uh, pretty out there one and it's termed uh, in their work the miraculous remission. And uh, these are the most unusual kinds of remission of all. Um, they're often associated with a spiritual cure. Um, we hear of people who go to Lourdes or other places around the world. Um, they're often cures that are very sudden and they're very complete. And uh, we, we see these quite a lot sometimes without medical treatment. I say quite a lot. It's not that it's a regular occurrence, but... You do see it, you do hear of it from time to time, and there's just like no explanation for what happened to these people. Uh, there's been a lot of studies done on prayer, religious faith, um, some forms of meditation, and it's postulated um, by Hirschberg and O'Regan in the um, spontaneous remission that something that they're doing in all of these processes, in all of these four, maybe just initiating some kind of self-repair um, mechanism, bringing the body back into some kind of homeostasis. But it's something that uh, is one of those things that we're really, really not able to study. So uh, what they did in um, looking at this, the spontaneous remissions, they designed a study where they could actually look at all of these four different classes of remission uh, from the medical literature and then postulate 
why people recovered. And we're going to have a look after the break. Hopefully, we'll have Carol Hirschberg online um, to join us to talk about this really, really important work. And we're going to go to a break shortly, and we'll be back uh, with talking more about spontaneous remission. And we're going to look at the sorts of things that um, Carol Hirschberg and Brendan O'Regan studied to come up with their amazing, amazing book called Spontaneous Remission, an annotated bibliography published by the Institute of Noetic Sciences. We'll be back soon. Don't go away. We'll be back after the break. I'm Grace Gawler and we are Navigating the Cancer Maze. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hulvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G dash clinic dot com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now... Back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Here we are with Carol Hirschberg on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Carol's just joined us. Uh, a little bit of a mix-up with our Times and U.S. Um, West Coast. So, Carol, <laughs> welcome to the show. Um, I've told our listeners a little bit about uh, spontaneous remission and y- your work that uh, you did, but I'd like to hear it from the horse's mouth. Um, can you tell us about your early life and, and your studies? What fascinated you with healing and how did that shape your ongoing career? Uh, well, let's see, early life. Um, when I was three years old, I was in the same room as my grandfather when he died. And uh, I'd never quite understood what that was all about. Um, but that didn't shape anything except that I knew one day he was there and the next day he was gone. Um, let's say, let's start with college. I chose uh, to do a science, basically chemistry course in college, primarily because it was difficult and that I felt that my mind needed discipline. Um, otherwise, you know, I could tend to 
think about a lot of things, and I think that science is very important in that, to teach that kind of discipline. Um, but I think that the real motivation for the rest of my work came from my father's death. My father got cancer when he was 46 years old. And at that time, first of all, people thought you could catch it, which, I don't know, some people may still think that. <laughs> and That's <laughs> um, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, if it's a viral thing, maybe that's true in some way. But um, And I didn't know anything about cancer. I'd actually never even paid any attention to it, but I was there. And my father was diagnosed with cancer at the end of my um, freshman year in college, and um, when I and died six months later, and I watched this outrageous thing happen to my father and my family, and how it affected everyone, and became very, very interested in what was this disease. And why were people so afraid of it? So my graduate work in biochemistry was essentially uh, studying mechanisms, and my research work was cancer research work and Stanford and a couple of other places. Um, and then I realized during the Nixon era, when there was all this money being poured into the war on cancer, that people, it's not a war, <laughs> you know, and to pour a ton of money into something and think that that was going to increase your understanding seemed a little absurd to me. So I started to look at the uh, psychological aspects as well. And I think that's how I ended up being involved in the healing field. And, of course, I think the most significant thing was my father's uh, cancer. Yeah, that's quite an inspiration, isn't it? You're not the first person who's actually said that, that I know actually out there in the field, that a family right. member has really inspired them. And, and I think the science of this, you know, like why why is it so? Professor Julia Sumner Miller, who was my hero on television when I was a little girl, um, <laughs> that, that question has actually inspired me for all of my life. I mean, it inspires me every day. Um so thank you for sharing that. Can you tell us about IONS, how you were, how you became involved and how it began? Uh, it was a real pioneer out there, wasn't it, in the uh, early days? Yeah, um, I became involved with Noetic Sciences um, because of my relationship with Brendan O'Regan. Uh, Brendan and I went to graduate school together. And um, when I left graduate school and came to California, he followed me, oh, you know, within a year, maybe less than that. He was in California and was working with Willis Harmon on a project called The Changing Images of Man at Stanford. And I was involved in that project as well as a consultant, but primarily I was working as a cancer researcher. And uh, then he told me at a, you know, dinner about this idea that Edgar Mitchell had of starting this institute because of his experiences when he was did his trip to the moon. And that um, the purpose of noetic sciences was to study consciousness in all its forms, 
you know what was mm. what was the meaning of consciousness um and so that that causes you to look at a variety of aspects of it and uh which brings in all kinds of things it brings in health and healing aspects of consciousness it brings in philosophy psychology paranormal experiences and Edgar Mitchell brought Willis Harmon and Brendan on board to begin the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which was, my goodness, a very long time ago now. Uh, yeah. first, office, first office was in downtown San Francisco, I remember. And um, it has continued in many of these fields. At this point, I believe that uh, Marilyn Schlitz is uh, president of Noetic Sciences, and um, it has gone back to some of its earlier roots, which is studying um, consciousness, paranormal experiences, uh, promoting uh, peace, which became a very big part of it as a result of Willis Harmon. And um, the health and healing part of the noetic sciences is not as major a part as it was when Brendan and I were there. Mm-hmm. When you were involved with uh, spontaneous remission and uh, went to publication, um, I think that was a really amazing time. It was like the birthing of a bit of a new era. No one had ever looked in this area before. Um, what do you think about spontaneous remission now? Has anything changed for you since uh, the definitions that that maybe were in the book back in the uh, 90s? Uh, well, a lot of things have changed, um, which is probably one of one of the reasons that uh, you know the the real problem with the term spontaneous remission is the implication that something happened without a cause. Yeah. Okay. That, in other words, there's no control on the part of an individual. Um, you know, it's this it's a bolt from the blue, and in that way, it's a sort of an insulting term to patients and more of a phenomenological term, whereas I felt that, you know, as one of the people I interviewed said, you know, there was nothing spontaneous about it. I worked very hard to recover. Mm-hmm. And you see, that was from the patient's point of view. or the, And I became more of a patient advocate over the years. Rather than looking at this, stepping back as a scientist, I started to look at this from the point of view of the person that has just been diagnosed with cancer. And how can this information that I have gathered help them? All right. And I found that, that, that it, to use that there's hope, um, isn't really as effective as saying, you know, there are people who do get better without doing anything. All right. However, most people have to make choices uh, in terms of treatment, and they have to pay some attention to uh, diagnosis of unusual ailments that they might have. You know, people get, you know, you get a headache, and the headache stays for a really long time, but you ignore it and take a Tylenol. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And now we have diagnostic procedures where people can look and say, there's something there. I suggest that we deal with this early. So when there is early detection, then there is early treatment, then there is recovery of more people sometimes, 
All right. And so there's fewer spontaneous remissions being reported. Well, it's almost like you've listened into the first part of the show. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah, it's really, uh, it's uh, exactly what we were talking about because this does get put in the terms of the miraculous. And I know I've had spontaneous remission sitting on my desk wherever I've worked in the world. I've carted this enormous book around with me. It's it's been so helpful and inspiring for people, but I have always put that little extra bit on to say, you know, it's not about the miraculous. It's just to show you that this is possible, but you have to do the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do. And I mean, I think that this, one of the things about this book and, and one of, you know, that I'm very proud of is that we were doing this you know, in the mortar and pestle era of computers. You know, in other words, we didn't have the access to information that's available now. We had to really do what people have done forever, which is go to the library. Wow. You know, and use card indexes. And something that most people (laughs) don't even know what it is anymore, Index Medicus, which is a series of these great big books that index information. So we had to figure out how to find things. And there were so many terms, you know, spontaneous remission, spontaneous regression, uh, unexplained recovery, um, long-term survival, you know, unexplained survival. There's all of these things that I started to look at, and I realized that, as you know in the book, I say, let's unpack this definition and take a look at the different parts of it, because there are some where there's you know, no allopathic treatment. There are some where the physicians consider the treatment inadequate, which means somebody goes in, gets a couple of chemo, says this doesn't feel good, and stops doing it, and still, the cancer—they recover from cancer. And then there are the there at this point in time, there are more and more complex kinds of remissions where people choose a lot of different kinds of things to do, and you can't pinpoint well this caused the cancer to remit, or this did, or that did. You know, you take a more generalized view, yeah, and yeah. more people are being treated now. So trying to find the cases in the literature was part of it, but then when I did the second book, trying to find the people that were behind the cases in the literature was uh, even more interesting. You know, going to yeah. the doctors who published the papers to try to find the people that they were talking about. Yeah, that would be an important follow-up. Um, right. Carol, we're, we're going to go to a break in about a minute, but could you just okay. tell us how many um, journals you researched and, and how many individual cases um, did you publish in Spontaneous Remission? Well, I think there's probably about 2,000 cases published in here out of 250 or 300 journals. These are international journals, so therefore we... Uh, we also translated a lot of um, cases because uh, we needed to see exactly what they were saying. So we sent translations all over to people all over the place, to you know, from Russian and German and French and Italian and Spanish and even some Chinese, Japanese that were written in the original script. And um, so I'd say, you know, it's been a long time, but there's about 2,000 cases in here. And this is only a small portion of the cases that were in the database. 
I chose the best ones. Okay, we have to go to a break, but we are going to be back with more Navigating the Cancer Maze with Carol Hirschberg talking about spontaneous remission. Thank you, Carol. We'll be back soon. Don't go away. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll free from North America at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Hi, we're back with the maze. And uh, we are with Carol Hirschberg, who's helping us to navigate the maze with some wisdom after her uh, many years since writing uh, Spontaneous Remission. And the next book, which I'd like to uh, talk with you about, to Carol, is Remarkable Recovery, because that followed on not long after the publication of Spontaneous Remission. And I read um, on the Internet, on a New York Times site, that it was billed as one of the three hottest releases alongside Water for Chocolate and The Horse Whisperer as a nonfiction <laughs> book. That is amazing. <laughs> Can you tell us about that time? And I mean, you must have been very surprised. Well, I was. I was very surprised. And um, uh, more than that, I I was uncomfortable with um, you know the focus that that is brought to you by uh, writing something like that because people were paying attention to the authors and not the people. <laughs> Okay, and uh, so I was a little, I was a little uncomfortable. I didn't. I'm, I'm not. I'm a private person and not one that handles that kind of thing very well. But I was very pleased that the book made it into almost every cancer support group in the United States. At least I don't know about the rest of the world. I do know that it was in the German translation was extremely popular, and there were. It was used in the cancer support groups in Germany and um, a few other places, uh, Italy and France. 
And that was, you know, that to me was very impressive. And I was happy that people were going to be able to learn who these people are, you know, directly from them. And for me, the best part of writing that book was interviewing the people. Uh, Some of these interviews were seven, eight, nine hours long. We would go over a couple of days. The family would be involved. And uh, it was like getting to know new friends. And, that must have um, been remarkable. They, yeah, and they have a lot of wisdom, you know, because they've gone through something that I hadn't gone through and were willing to discuss what, what, how they felt, what they did, what kinds of attitudes, where they ended up in terms of, of treatments and the people that they met and the groups that were formed. Um, there was a lot of uh, really, really, really incredible insights that I gained personally as a result of doing the research for that book. Um, and I learned a lot from the people. So <laughs> right. as far as what the New York Times and important books, I have to say I think I really did like Water for Chocolate and the Horse Whisperer. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that was nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I must admit, for a non-fiction book, and once again, following on from Spontaneous Remission, I, I guess it's kind of like um, those two projects really were a, a head-turner in um, not only uh, the public arena, but perhaps a little in the scientific community too, to you know, to take another look at uh, why these people recovered. And the important thing with the tagline, what um, extraordinary healings can tell us about getting well and staying well? That's right. And I'll tell you, it was very... It was, to bring this subject to the medical community, all right, and have an opportunity to do workshops with, with patients and their oncologists um, who were looking at the material and thinking about other possibilities, paying a little bit more attention to people's stories. I mean, I had one person tell me that people are notoriously bad at remembering what happens to them um, and cannot tell their own stories because they don't get it right. And I have to say that I, I took great offense at that because most of the people that I know, once they overcome the shock, which is the first step in getting a cancer diagnosis, they can tell you what color the sky was that day. They can tell you what something smelled like that they never noticed before. So I don't believe that they didn't remember what they did and what happened to them. They may not know the dosage of chemotherapy that they received, but they most certainly know their inner world and how the inner world was affected by the diagnosis of cancer. Yeah. You know what I uh, what I'm hearing from you, and it's interesting because we haven't talked wow since I think 1995. Yeah, it's <laughs> been a long time. It's been a long time. It's really interesting to hear from you how coming through the world of science has really shaped you even more in coming into the the world of the the, the patient and uh, understanding that at a at a soul level um, and a needs level from the patient. Uh, and that's a really extraordinary journey in a scientific career. Mm-hmm. It is, and, and, it, and it has been. 
Um, but what I'm doing now um, is, for the most part, I, I work with individuals. And uh, because a cancer diagnosis can be an almost impossible set of choices that people have to make all of a sudden. And that goes along with the, with what happens with families and, you know, families mobilize in ways that maybe a person that's just received a diagnosis of cancer can't stop them from doing, but they really don't want it. They need an advocate. They need a, a, a health care surrogate, so to speak. They need someone who can, you know, sort of bridge the gap between their understanding, their shock, the family, the physicians, and the treatments. And so that's something that the knowledge that I have gained as a result of this project, I'm able to use for people. I can't tell you what the newest chemotherapy is, okay? But I can explain to someone, based on the fact that I have that background in science, what it is that they're going to be given, what does it mean, what are the side effects, you know, what kinds of things can they do to make themselves feel more comfortable and also act as an interface in most cases with the family. Um, in my most recent experience, that wasn't as successful because the person with cancer was my darling aunt, who is one of the most important people in my life, and I was having to interface between her and her daughters. Mm. That was not an easy place because we have so much history. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but that's what gets messy. It gets messy in there because everybody means well, um, but it's really up to the individual who has received the diagnosis to make the decisions, and they don't know how without some help. And for me, I have to know whether to say, you know, just do it to someone who is has a certain kind of personality and a certain kind of frailty, and I can say, come on, let's just do this to someone who uh, is saying, well, you know, if you're going to give me this kind of dosage, give me your best shot, when I'm saying be a little bit more conservative, and you kind of have to know something about people's responses in order to balance. So that's Mm. what I'm doing now. Good. That's fantastic. It's actually very similar to the sort of work that I've found myself in, and I guess uh, I'm... Yeah, I'm doing a little bit more, I guess, on the treatment side with uh, sort of shepherding and helping people as an advocate and giving them the opportunity of going to Germany for uh, really amazing treatments. When yeah, their spirit's there, you know, and they the patient wants to do it. It's just so important what you said about the patient wanting to do it. Um, Carol, I'd like to ask you about uh, the books. Where are they available as resources? Um, you know, they're the... Spontaneous Remission book is not available at all. It is online on the Noetic Sciences site. Okay. But there are no more copies of the book per se. There were, um, but it was getting to the point where I, I think you would have to check with Noetics to see if they still have copies. I have some which I have given to people, but not enough to be able to distribute them myself. Mm-hmm. And um, Remarkable Recovery is out of print. However, it's um, still available on Amazon, I think. And um, I think that's probably the only place you can get it. I don't really have any extra copies myself. I did, but 
I'm I'm I moved and then um, they kind of got lost in transit. So I they're not really available that easily. But if you look on Amazon, you'll find Remarkable Recovery. As far as the bibliography is concerned, that you would have to go to Noetics for. Okay. I'll look those up and I'll put some links on my website Great. Um, Great. so that people can actually track those and make it easy because I think they're both timeless. <laughs> That's the only word for it. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's a shame. Oh, the, the bibliography, you know, this this weightlifting book is was very expensive to produce, so the possibility of reproducing it is probably pretty small. And updating it would be difficult at this point because at the time we did this, we got all kinds of permissions for the articles that were in it, and et cetera. Well, now copyright laws are making it very, very difficult for people to... Uh, be able to republish. I mean, I have every paper that I collected, I have, but I can't give them away because um, it's no I can no longer do that legally in the United States. Mm, so, that's a shame. It is a shame, but, you know, so there they sit, and I look, uh, I look up stuff in them periodically. So I have, I tried to give them to... Uh, a couple of different libraries, and uh, then they came back and said, well, we would love to have them, but, you know, there's been these changes, and it would be a nightmare because you've got, you know, like 14,000 papers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even in the computer age, that's quite something. Yeah. Um, just before we go to a break, um, and you're going to come back after the break with me, there was a spontaneous remission register that was initiated. Um, can you tell me if that's continued and what could you tell us about it in this last minute before we go for the break? Um, well, I actually, it is it has not continued, and that's primarily because of funding. Oh. Um, I collected a great number of cases, um, and then, you know, it's expensive, to maintain something like that, I applied for some grants and didn't didn't get them. That's the, one of the biggest problems with the research in this area is that there's no funding for it. You know, mm -hmm. you're not going to get national funding for it, and um, there's no real product, so to speak, um, sure. that comes out of continuing to collect it. So. Uh, the registry sits in a file cabinet at the moment, but I have not continued it. Mm, that is another great shame. So that would be some good things to get going again, but I guess you might prefer someone else does that. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I think I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, such a lot of work. Um, Carol, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the uh, the, the Turner production uh, that you had okay. some involvement with, The Heart of Healing. Um, but for now, we're going to go to another short break. Don't go away. I'll be back and I'll be talking with Carol Hirschberg on more of how to navigate the cancer maze and spontaneous remission. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. 
Holvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. tuned into navigating the cancer maze with your host grace goller we'd love to hear from you today on our program please call us toll free from north america at 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 international callers may dial in to 480-553-5759 you may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Hi, we're back for our final session with Carol Hirschberg. And uh, Carol, I'd like to ask you about uh, the fame that came also for a lady who's quiet and doesn't like fame, likes her private life. Um, the Turner production that you were involved with, I think that was initiated through IONS, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, The Heart mm -hmm. of Healing. Yeah, can you tell us about those, those documentaries and the impact that they made? Well, first of all, the... Um original premise for the Heart of Healing was um, the original proposal was done by uh, Brendan O'Regan and David Kennard. Um, and it had a slightly different focus when it was originally proposed. Uh, same number of parts to it, etc., but uh, a little bit different. And um, when Brendan got sick... Um, he could no longer work on the being the director of research and co-producer, so I took it over. And um, it turned out, of course, that at that same time, uh, TBS decided to fund the, the program. And uh, so I was in pretty much on the ground floor writing up the proposals for all of the different segments and um, how are we going to put this together to get a world overview of of healing? And I had never done a television production. I'd never written a TV script. Uh, I this you know doing television is an, is a fabulous lesson in collaboration between the the producers and the directors and the editors and the people that are being interviewed and the you know, the sound guy and all of that kind of stuff, and I loved it. Um, it was a very exciting time. I was not the one doing the interviewing. I was the one writing up the questions for the lucky directors who got to go all over the world and uh, interview different people and go to different sites, and I had to do background for that. So we ended up going to a lot of different countries, and then... 
the tapes would come back to us, and I would sit in the editing room with the editors and take hours and hours and hours of tapes to try to make eight-minute segments out of them because that was the the way it was planned. And that was really a challenge because you had to get right to the meat of an idea and the and show the personality and the significant questions and the significant answers um, from the people that we interviewed. And so in that way, I got to know all of the different aspects because there were so many hours of dailies that we were watching. And the idea behind the Heart of Healing was just what the name implies. Okay, what is this? And, and how does this come about? Um, and part of that, of course, was the extraordinary, you know, and the way different people, the aspects of the way different people go about it. So we filmed, you know, the Snake Church uh, down in the south, and we went to Lourdes, and we went to Brazil and, and filmed the, Umba, the Canton Blay. Um, and then we filmed several people who had been um, people that I had discovered while doing research on on the spontaneous remission bibliography uh, in Holland and in Germany and in the United States and throughout throughout the United States, um, and then interviewing experts in U- the UK, and that's how you know we came to you and Ian um, was through a conversation I had years ago with. Ainsley Mears when I read the article about Ian in uh, the Medical Journal of Australia. And so that's how we met. (laughs) (laughs) Extraordinary. Isn't it extraordinary what life, uh, yeah. And here we are talking today, you know, in 2013. (laughs) And I think that the the television series um, had quite an impact um, the Turner people decided that they wanted to have, we, we had designed this without any MC. You know, there was nobody that was going to be introducing the segments. And so, uh, of course, the main producers are the people that had the money, and so they decided that they wanted to change that around. So we had to re-edit everything to allow for that possibility. But then we received a contract from Time Life Video, which was, you know, part of the Turner complex, or he was at least, I think, 50% owner at that time, to go ahead and produce one-hour tapes of the Heart of Healing, expanding um, each of the subject areas, for which I was just thrilled, because we had two ways to look at it. We had one that was being broadcast, and we had one kind of set that was available for home video, for people to experience it again. And um, I would say that during the, during the process of research on the um, part of healing, Brendan died. And so that made the heart of healing even that much more important to me because he was a soulmate. And... Yeah. Um, Working on it was, you know, significant as a result of that. You know, doing doing the work on the heart of healing was like giving a gift, and and um, 
it made it even that much more important. And, of course, the, the main producer, David Kennard, was a good friend of Brendan's as well. So uh, I, I still periodically look at the uh, tapes myself. Has that been produced on a DVD? Do you know? You know, I, I don't know. I really yeah. don't know. Uh, I never actually checked on that because, and, and, you know, that'd be a good question to ask because who has VCRs anymore? <laughs> That's right. They're outdated. You can't see it on an iPhone. It doesn't exist, you know. Yeah, sure. I certainly will check that out because it's again they're uh, they're dated um, pieces that we're talking about, but they've got so much value and uh, so much information in them. So I think uh, if anyone wants to know about that, email me. Um, I'm going to chase down a lot of resources from our conversation today. Um, Carol, we've got about three three minutes or so to go. Uh, could you just kind of wind up with a summary? What's Carol Hirschberg learned so far about healing, recovery, and wellness? And have you got any gems from your library that you could leave with our listeners today, people who are cancer patients, friends or relatives of cancer patients? Well, you know, when you asked me that question, um, I'm at this point, I'm still in mourning over the loss of my aunt who, you know, was 85 years old and had an extraordinary life. And I was there uh, helping and supporting her for the entire process, you know. And um, the, the process of being diagnosed with cancer is, no matter how old you are, um, it's scary. Uh, I thought that she was brave and uh, true to herself. And... Um, you know, and at 85 was realistic that uh, she had lived a long and full life. But when you ask me about how this field has influenced me at this point, you know, she's the first person that I think about, mm-hmm. you know, that I was able to use all the knowledge that I had gained over the years, which is not, you know, not saying that it's vast, but... I was able to take that and use that knowledge and try to help her. But the bottom line was you cannot, you know, you can't save someone else's life. You know, I know that that's not a high point to, to, to say, but what I've learned about healing is that there's a variety of kinds of healing. There is the physical healing, and I have met many people who have physically healed. I have one friend right now who was diagnosed with ovarian cancer 20 years ago. And she recovered from the ovarian cancer. And within the last year, she was diagnosed with cancer again. And as has been the case with other people that I have spoken with who have either had a recurrence or have gotten another form of cancer, you know, 20 years later, um, all the knowledge that she gained from her first experience, went into what I would call developing the state of grace that she has now, that she has um, brought peace and love into her life, and that's part of the healing process. 
You know? Great. Well, that's terrific. We have about 30 seconds to go, and I think that is a beautiful place to um, to finish today with. I could talk to you all day. Uh, we're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> but you have left behind, I must say, you have left behind, you've moved on with your work, but you've left behind such a resource and such a gift, a rich gift for cancer patients worldwide that will go on long after we've gone so thank you, Carol, for uh, oh. today, and thanks for your graciousness in the, you know, with our time difference thing too. It's been terrific. No problem, with you. and thank you, Grace. It's really good to hear your voice again. <laughs> okay, bye for now. We'll be back Bye-bye. next week on Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Gawler, and have a wonderful week. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, cancer is not something you have to face alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.